There is a great deal of confusion about what you mean when you talk about freedom. It's very easy and very tempting to confuse freedom with wealth or power. The citizen of the United States today is wealthier than his counterpart 100 years ago, but he is by every dimension less free than he was 100 years ago. That was Milton Friedman, and this is Freedom's Call. And welcome to Freedom's Call with Brett Sterling. On this week's show, Brett takes a look at some parents pushing back on critical race theory being taught in schools. Her 16-year-old daughter would be taught that her mother is a predator or a murderer. What are we teaching in our schools? And he'll have an interview with Missouri State Senator Mike Moon. If you look back at some of these guys, they haven't been on the Republican side on most every issue. Hmm. And so you have to ask the question, are they really Republicans? That's all coming up on this episode of Freedom's Call. And now, here's Brett Sterling. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Freedom's Call. I'm glad that you're here with us here today. And uh, we're going to address a little bit of what Milton Friedman uh, spoke about here in just a couple minutes. But I have a I want to open with a couple uh, brief remarks here about the Super Bowl, well, specifically the, the the Super Bowl halftime show seemed to get a lot of attention. Um, I mean, over, overall, I thought performance-wise, it was it was good. Uh, I, I, I didn't have a problem with uh, with the actual uh, uh, per- performance entertainment. Uh, was a little bit of uh, a little bit of issue though with the uh, with the entertainers. Uh, you had you had Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, uh, Mary J. Blige, Fifty Cent, and Kendrick Lamar, and you know when it, as as we're looking at this at this woke culture of punishing uh, peace loving citizens uh, that may act outside of the preferred narrative of the main of the quote unquote mainstream. I may even call it the mainstream because I don't think it's mainstream. It's the more more establishment uh, and really given a pass to those with uh, with with a, with a checkered past or act violently and we, we saw this with the you know with the with the riots in, in 2020 fire bombings of courthouses in Portland Oregon occupying a, a section of the uh, of, of Seattle uh, and you know damaging personal property. I mean over over five billion dollars of insurable losses. You know Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, Minneapolis. You look the smash and grab robberies in California. I mean even got to the point to where they couldn't they couldn't prosecute not to like 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 they were going to prosecute anybody. They couldn't prosecute all the all the smash and grab robbers. So they just said you know what if you don't as long as you steal less than a thousand dollars then we're just going to let you go. That might be great for the criminal. It's really lousy for the person who's having their personal property stolen. It's just beyond comprehension. It just it makes no sense whatsoever. This is how you destroy society. But going back to the the Super Bowl halftime show, I just thought there was so so much hypocrisy up there uh, on the field. If you look at these performers, you look at some of their songs, how they promote violence against women. Um, and actually, you know, look at the performers themselves. Some of them has have committed violence against women. There have been a cu- there were a couple that were implicated, but but acquitted of murder. Uh, you look at drug possession, 
and then going to their their songs, and these are the songs I that I don't care for at all because I think they're just disgusting. Is the writing of lyrics and in, encouraging the, the desecration of women, uh, calling America racist, killing cops. You have inward laced lyrics. These uh, performers are coming out with new songs right now using that same word that is totally horrendous, and yet, and, and they're lauded as, you know, just great uh, pop pop icons. It, it's just ridiculous. They also provo- promoted, you know, violence against other Americans. If corporate America proclaims their guilt for being successful and being too white, and they throw in with the woke mob, the woke Marxist mob, they have complete immunity. Corporate America does this because they profit from it. Corporate America does this because they gain favor with pop culture, avoid criticism, boycotts, and censorship from big tech. Whenever they are exploiting many of these exact same groups, people in other countries, specifically Nike. You look at Nike and China and the love affair that they have with China in the Chinese Communist Party that controls everything in China. You throw in the NBA in there as well. The reason why they don't uh, push back against uh, against China is because they make a hell of a lot of money off of cheap Chinese slave labor. On top of that, when they criticize the free market and freedom of speech and capital formation and try to get people canceled, you know, they're just trying to protect their own self-interest in in taking rungs off the ladder of advancement from the next Jeff Bezos, from the next Steve Jobs, from the next Warren Buffett, from the next Bill Gates. They don't want that competition. So this benefits them in a very, very selfish way. And, you know, there, there are far too many corporations that do this. Overall, the, the performance that they gave was was largely okay, uh, but I, I just thought it was just very hypocritical, the, the performers that they had on, on the stage there. Now, in unrelated news, after the L.A. Rams-Cincinnati uh, Bengals game, uh, PepsiCo has ended its sponsorship of the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, that, that was costing uh, between 40 and $50 million for a 15-minute show, so... Uh, don't know exactly what went into that uh, to that uh, uh, decision-making process, but PepsiCo is no longer going to sponsor the halftime show. They're still, still going to be sponsors of the NFL. They're just not going to sponsor the uh, halftime show. So getting back with, to what Milton Friedman was talking about, how you can't make the error of equating wealth with freedom because we are, as Milton Friedman pointed out, we are wildly more wealthy uh, today as what, than what we were, uh, you know, beginning of my generation. Uh, you know, you look at 40, 50 years ago. Um, but, you know, we're also, we're also not as free. And you can see that in many different levels. And, you know, as I'm thinking through this, I, I just think about some of the vacations my parents and I uh, had, had taken whenever I was growing up. And you know, it was pretty. It's pretty amazing some of the some of the trips that we made, whether it, you know be to Canada, whether it be to Washington D.C., um, Yellowstone, Grand Tetons. I mean, just just gorgeous places like that. And you know, it was when my son was growing up. You know, some some of those trips were 
kind of difficult for us to take. Uh, maybe we're wealthier, but maybe we just don't have, maybe we don't have the same buying power. So I'd like to see how that, how that breaks down as far as the buying power of the dollar. But getting back to the freedom and liberty part, um, you know, our checking, while our checking accounts are larger than what they were, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, uh, for the most part, especially a hundred years ago, we definitely don't have as much uh, freedom. And, you know, Americans more and more are getting tired of the hypocrisy. And increasingly, uh, there are more Americans speaking up and they are of all, I would, of, of all uh, races, colors, creeds, either gender, uh, young and old. Uh, so it's really remarkable to see. So we're going to, uh, we have Couple, couple great clips here, and these are just, uh, just, just tremendous Americans standing up here, fighting for freedom, fighting for their children, fighting for the truth, fighting for them to be taught uh, what the, you know, truth and true history. So, the uh, the first, uh, the first person up here we have is Brian Echeverria. As a parent, I speak to other parents. There's a few things that we don't want. I'm biracial. I'm bilingual, I'm multicultural. The fact is, in America, in North Carolina, I can do anything I want, and I teach that to my children. And the person who tells my little pecan-colored kids that they're somehow oppressed based on the color of their skin would be absolutely wrong and absolutely at war with me. Mr. Echeverria is right on there. Uh, you know, it's the, the, the poison that we're putting into, uh, into children's heads and just telling uh, them that based upon your skin color, that you're either an oppressor or oppressed uh, is just to me. To me, it's just absolutely criminal. If, if you want to hear the rest of that uh, that clip, it goes on about three minutes. If you want to hear the rest of that clip, just go to our Facebook page, uh, Freedom's Freedom's Call Facebook page, and we'll have the entire clip there. Uh, now, I wanted to go to another clip, and this is a, a parent. He provides his own explanation and own frustration on what he's seeing being taught in the decline in our society. Today in the Shrewsbury High School in SEP, they were doing um, Black Lives Matter um, things and stuff. The concern that I have and stuff is <laughs> that a poem and stuff was read out to the kids de depicting that police officers are predators and murderers of black children and black, black ch children and parents. One of the questions that I ask everybody here, as I have a state police retired sergeant sitting right here, do we think it's appropriate that her 16-year-old daughter would be taught that her mother is a predator or a murderer? What are we teaching in our schools? How is this possible? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, how, how would you feel if you were the, the, the son or daughter of a police officer and here your parent is? Um, out there being a law enforcement officer, and you're being taught in school that they are a murderer, that they are a predator, and that they're a murderer. I mean, we're, we're poisoning the minds of our kids, and I'm sorry, this is absolute 100% child abuse. So it's just absolutely unconscionable how in the world that we are teaching, that we're devolving a society, as a society and getting beaten over the head with this. this. This is not America. The left's view of America is not America. America stands for freedom. We stand with the Canadian truckers. We stand with the Ukrainians. We stand with the Taiwanese. We stand with Hong Kong. We stand with the Israelis. 
we stand with Muslims who want to live free of the Taliban and their Marxist extreme elements. We are done with mandates. We are done with tyrannical government. We are done with the lying, race-hustling establishment media. We are done with leftist Marxist policies. We are done with big tech censoring speech and stomping on the First Amendment. We are done with the liars who blame the United States and everyday Americans for every problem under the sun. We are done with woke corporate America who throw in with the Marxists and the hate America crowd so they aren't bashed on social media. We are done with all of these cowards. We stand for freedom. We're Americans. And we've had enough. Coming up next on Freedom's Call. When, when you think about a break in decorum, what I did wearing overalls was really not that much. Freedom's Call with Brett Sterling will continue right after this. This public affairs moment is presented by theconventionofstates.com. I'm here to talk to you about theconventionofstates.com. Charity doesn't begin at home. It begins in Washington, D.C., where politicians disconnected from the everyday problems of the common American only show true interest when it's time for you to cast your ballot. This is made for poor and inadequate service. More questions than answers. At conventionofstates.com, a solution offered by the founders at the creation of the American Constitution was proposed in Article 5 of the Constitution. Basically, it grants the people, not the politicians, the power to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, impose fiscal restraints, and place term limits on federal officials. A joint rally of at least 34 states is all that's needed to call the Convention of States, and a minimum of 38 is all it takes to pass the amendments made. The power contained in Article 5 can bring charity back home. To find out more about the huge possibilities that can be achieved in a Convention of States, visit conventionofstates.com. Welcome back to Freedom's Call. And now here's your host, Brett Sterling. Welcome back, everybody, to Freedom's Call. And uh, as promised, we are being joined by Senator Mike Moon. Uh, Senator Moon represents the 29th District in Missouri and is also a candidate for the Missouri 7th Congressional District uh, seat. Uh, Senator Moon, welcome to Freedom's Call. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Brett. I was trying to pick out the right word here, and I guess uh, it's been an interesting session so far. We'll just call it interesting in the Missouri legislature, but especially there in the Senate, and obviously, the, what's taken most of the oxygen out of the room here recently is a redrawing of Missouri's congressional maps. It's been a major point of contention. This is, can be kind of confusing. Uh, there are a lot of different rules uh, that apply here. Can, can you maybe give a, our listeners a, a brief overview of the uh, parameters and requirements of, of drawing congressional districts in Missouri? Sure. Well, the, the U.S. Census, which of course, is required every 10 years is the catalyst for the redrawing of the maps. And uh, the responsibility of each state after the census is to uh, reapportion, uh, according to the census, the, uh, the congressional district lines. And in Missouri, it's about 780 or so thousand people per uh, congressional district. And so we have currently uh, the population that would um, allot for eight, eight uh, representative seats. Uh, so what the responsibility is for the legislature to draw maps and they should be uh, close to equal as much as, uh, as they can in population so that um, the, uh, the representation can be 
uh, fair. And in Missouri, there's one district, the first district, which has a majority of minority, which means in this case, there's more uh, black people living there. And so we can't do anything to that district to flip it from what currently is a Democrat held seat to a Republican held seat. So that one can't be gerrymandered. But the other seven can be adjusted uh, to do whatever the majority party wants. And uh, it, uh, it is legal. And the Congress has, uh, not Congress, but the, the Supreme Court has upheld uh, lines that were drawn, which seem to advantage one party over the other. And so gerrymandering as much as there might be disdain in a lot of people's minds, uh, it is legal to do. And so in Missouri, currently we have eight congressional representatives. Six of those currently are uh, in the Republican party and two are Democrat held seats. And as I mentioned earlier, the first district uh, is gonna be Democrat uh, unless there's an influx of uh, voters or the minds change uh, uh, in the between now and the next election or elections in the future to elect a Republican there will likely be a Democrat held seat. So so our task in the legislature is to again draw the lines and um, the, the kerfuffle that we have is that even though in the last presidential election and the uh, midterm election prior to that, proved that there is a trend moving toward more Republicans in the state, or at least in their voting habits, there's a reluctance to change the lines that would allow for a seventh representative to be in the Republican Party or from the Republican Party. And so what, um, uh, what is, is kind of the hiccup in all this is that there are 34 senators and we are now trying to satisfy 34 different individuals. In addition to that, there are um, eight congressional members, two of which we're not really paying attention to, but the other six also have opinions. And so they have the ability to um, have some input in the drawing as well. And there's two, maybe three, who are really being pretty vocal about what their desires are. And so we've got 37, uh, maybe even up to 40 people who are uh, trying to give some input on uh, what those uh, uh, boundaries ought to look like. And so here's what is coming from outside the Capitol. And you may have heard, as your listeners may be aware, that there is a clamor for a 7-1 map, which I agree, uh, because there, again, the, the voting habits over the last uh, couple of elections have proven that there, uh, there is at least a desire to uh, give some credence to seven Republican uh, delegates and uh, one Democrat uh, delegate to the, the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives. And so okay. what, what is happening now, though, <clears throat> is that we've had a lots of maps. I can't tell you how many there, there have been drawn uh, to try to get the, uh, the population as equal as possible so that uh, we can have a consensus on 
what the, the final map needs, needs to look at or to, to look like. Now, one, one final point before I take a pause here. Um, the House took up a map and passed it. It's House Bill 2117. This map, as I understand it, uh, and I know the Senate map for sure, had no input from committee members. Uh, I know this, uh, we had a, an email sent out from Senator Mike Bernsketter back in December, I believe it was, and it read something like this. It's not verbatim, but after consulting with uh, senators, um, here's the map we've come up with. So I, I responded to the email. I wasn't contacted. Um, and another one chimed in who was on the redistricting committee. He wasn't contacted either. So uh, there's some suspicion that some outside influence was um, provided to draw these maps. There is some speculation, uh, and I may get into that if you want me to share some of those inside baseball um, <clears throat> comments, I will. <clears throat> but nonetheless, we have the House map that's in play, House Bill 2117. It uh, retains what appears to be six Republicans and two Democrats in the seats, but there is some suspicion, and I can verify because the way that some of the, the districts were drawn, it could actually potentially lose a Republican member. So it could be a 5-3 map. So I, I think we're, we're, I'm not satisfied with that. I believe we ought to have a 7-1 or at the most have six Republicans, one Democrat, and the additional seat could be made competitive. And that would be out of the fifth congressional district, which is primarily Jackson County now, but that could be redrawn so that it, it could be uh, if challenged with the right candidate and enough work put into it, it could be won by Republicans. So we could eventually end up with seven Republicans and one Democrat. So what you're saying is that uh, House Bill 2117, no, nobody on the House Redistricting Committee nor the Senate Redistricting Committee had any input apparently on this? I, I can't say for sure on the, the House side, but on the, the Senate map, uh, it's pretty clear because I know of two people who were on the, uh, the committee. One of them uh, said they were not contacted. And another one, I believe that's the indication from them as well. So it looks as if it was just a map that appeared out of thin air. And of course, that's not possible. Someone had input in that map. And uh, it's fairly clear by some of the conversations that I've been involved in that uh, the co-chair of that committee on the Senate side didn't draw the map. How strange is that that um, you would you would <laughs> that you that you would have something like um, congressional district map that would not have any input or not be crafted or drafted or or have any of the members of the of the respective committees consulted in um, drafting that map? Uh, it's it's pretty strange, and that leads me to believe that some of the thoughts that I had before. I was uh, elected to the legislature are really true. Um, there some who are elected uh, aren't really representing the people and they're allowing outside influences, perhaps the lobbyist or other uh, interest groups to, uh, to actually call the shots. Now, now I understand everybody has uh, an opinion and we should uh, be consulting with our constituents and of course, there are some lobby groups that uh, have input as well, and that's fair. 
but <clears throat> there is some inference, there have been inferences made that <clears throat> one uh, group called Palm Strategic has uh, had a, I would say it'd be an unfair advantage and unfair influence in the process. They have not only had um, representatives from their lobbying firm involved in the, the process by being members of those redistricting committees, both on the House and the Senate side, but they also have, uh, I'll call them operatives who are staff members in some of them pretty influential places in the legislature. Mm. And, and here, here's something to add to that. <clears throat> what advantage would they have? I mean, why, why would they have any interest in being a part of the redistricting process? Well, their primarily function is to consult with and um, campaign or run campaigns for folks who are, of course, running for office on the Republican ticket. And so if they had the lines drawn where uh, the districts would be more competitive, requiring uh, a Republican to run against a Democrat for the, the, the seat, that's just going to drum up business for them. And so they're going to profit monetarily from it. And so that's where uh, it, it becomes a, a little bit shady, in my opinion. There's a, a senator, his name is Blaine Luchtemeyer. If you look at the records that, um, for his, from his financials, <clears throat> money has passed <clears throat> between him and Palm Strategic. And he's also pushing for uh, some boundary lines that would benefit him. And so it, it just makes you wonder uh, what the, the, the purpose is and if there might be some underlying reasons for their input and uh, participation in the map drawing. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of human nature just to try to take action that is going to be advantageous Certainly. to yourself personally. And, and sure. I mean, and we, and one, one thing I've, that I've learned in my last, what, I guess, uh, seven, seven years of, of being at the Capitol pretty much every, every week during the, uh, during the session is that there, there isn't any vote that's taken or any bill that's introduced that at some point doesn't have some type of political motive and that's just kind of the nature of the beast and that's just mm -hmm. that's just that's just the way that it is freedom's call we'll be back with more of brett's interview with missouri state senator mike moon we need to pay close attention to what uh, republicans do and part of that is the bills they file and the votes they take and if you look back at some of these guys you'll probably find that uh, they haven't been on the Republican side on most every issue. Hmm. And so you have to ask the question, are they really Republicans? And, and I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. I think that's just out there for the listeners to try to come to a conclusion on. That and more coming up on Freedom's Call. The Freedom's Call podcast is available on Spotify and wherever podcasts are available. You can interact with us on our website, freedomscall.net and on Facebook at Freedom's Call where we feature daily updates, links to news stories, and special content just for our audience. Freedom's Call with Brett Sterling will continue right after this.